If you would like to appear on an episode of My Story Living with Lupus, you can contact us at mystorylivingwithlupus at gmail.com. Also visit us on our Instagram page and also our website, My Story Living with Lupus. and opinions expressed on my story living with lupus podcast represents each person's individual experience by listening to this podcast or reading our blog you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others as always Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lupus podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved. Thank you for joining me for another episode of My Story Living with lupus podcast i'm your host susan Hendricks, and i'm so glad that you could join me on this friday august 28th 2020 today we're going to be discussing clinical trials what you need to consider before participating in a medical study also i have a question for you do you think that being too clean can affect the immune system? Well, we'll find out what researchers say. Just ponder on that question. Now, you know what I want you to do? That's right. All the way from the United States to South Africa. That's right. Grab your cup of coffee, your cup of tea. I'm getting ready to go make mine. And if you're listening late at night, now you know I appreciate you. So grab your favorite glass of wine and come on and join the conversation right here on My Story Living with Lupus Podcast. Did you grab your coffee? Did you grab your tea? And did you grab your favorite glass of wine? And also, did you ponder on the question that I asked? Can being too clean weaken your immune system? Now, you know, as kids growing up, our parents taught us to wash your hands after you use the bathroom, to wash your hands before you eat, to um, don't touch this, don't touch that. But you know, as kids, we are going to play in dirt, make mud pies and, and all sorts of things. But do you really think that being too clean affects the immune system? And um, 
here is something to think about. As we all know, hand soap, cleaning products, and sanitizers are flying off the shelf even before um, the stock people can restock the shelves. Many people find themselves thinking about hygiene more than ever. And see, that kind of surprised me because who wouldn't think about their hygiene? You know what I'm saying? Okay, now, according to the CDC, hand washing is one of the best ways to protect ourselves and family from getting sick. Hand washing paired with social distancing, wearing a mask, and disinfectant frequently touch surfaces are our best defense against what is happening um, today. And you know what I'm talking about, the pandemic. But can being too clean have negative effects on our health and immune system? Did you think about that question? Wow. We do believe our immune system is influenced by both the environment and infectious exposures. It happens before we are born or during early childhood. Now, a Beaumont Hospital allergist and immunologist, as we grow up, our immune system grows up too. And the influences become less and less profound, this doctor stated. The concerns over being too clean stem from the hygiene hypothesis, a theory first introduced in the 1980s based on research that indicated children who are kept in very clean environments, have a higher rate of hay fever, asthma, and a wide range of other conditions. Now, this doctor further stated that while scientific data does show the environment can have strong influence on our immune system as young children, it's not something we need to worry about as adults. Wearing a mask and washing our hands a lot, forget it. That's not going to change your immune system, the doctor stated. If you do have small children right now and are concerned about the development of their immune system, the doctor explains that keeping your child safe while not going overboard is your best option. As a general rule, excessive cleanliness to the point of excessive compulsion is probably not a good idea, the doctor quoted. On the other hand, don't go out and dip the kid in the, in the sewer and think that 
that's going to be good for the immune system. Common sense has to prevail. Now, staying healthy versus boosting the immune system. Keeping your body healthy is always a good idea, no matter what the circumstances. Exercise, sleep, eating healthy, and reducing stress are all important habits everyone should be practicing daily. But if you're looking for a quick boost to your immune system, well, the doctor says you shouldn't get your hopes up. You don't get better than normal immunity by taking supplements or eating a special diet, he stated. If you see an ad for something claiming it will boost your immunity, run the other way. It's a lie. It's fake. And they can't do it. Now, the doctor's advice was, is to stop worrying about how cleanliness is affecting your immune system and worry more about preventing yourself from getting sick. You shouldn't avoid basic precautions like wearing a mask, cleaning regularly, and practicing proper hygiene because you think they are somehow harmful to your immune system, the doctor stated. Doing those things are the best defense against the pandemic. Now, you know, it's one thing that I do not agree with this doctor about, and that is when it came down to the diet and um, taking supplements to boost your immune system. Now, my doctors, they suggest that I do that. You know, take in supplements that will strengthen the immune system. And um, yes, I'm on a, um, you know, I'm vegan. And um, one of my doctors told me, one day when I was in the office, um, he said, Susan, do you still eat meat? I said, I don't eat red meat, but I consume chicken and turkey. This had to have been about five or six or maybe longer years ago. He said, cut that out, cut that out of your system. And I told him, well, that's fine. I have no problem with that because it was becoming hard for me to digest the chicken and the turkey. And he said, one of the best things I can do is to change into eating from the earth, things that are grown from the earth and started using, um, start using supplements. And um, that's what I did. I started doing that and um, I had to take a sip of my pomegranate tea from Trader Joe. It is so good. I started doing that and that's what I disagree um, with this doctor. If we're planning to stay healthy and boosting our immune systems, don't you think 
that we should be taking supplements instead of um, waiting on a doctor to prescribe a prescription medication. You know, I take supplements. And um, besides my vitamins, I take, um, and I told you before, my girlfriend turned me on to Goalie Nutrition, the apple cider vinegar gummies, and it is so good. And it's packed with um, vitamins plus mother from the apple cider vinegar. It's gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, organic, and unfiltered. And you know what? I can tell the difference when I I um, take it. It does boost, give me that boost of energy that I need. And um, it is helping strengthen my immune system. So why not take um, supplements that will boost your immune system? You know, look, you all know. I believe in um, staying coherent to what doctors tell us to do regarding our health. But sometimes common sense prevails because you've been living with your body longer than that doctor has been seeing you. You know how your body functions better than the doctor does. And I'm not saying dismiss whatever the doctors say. This is just my opinion. I will take supplements to boost my immune system. I really will. Now, when we come back, we'll be discussing clinical trials and what you need to know before you participate in one. So stay with me. This segment is sponsored by... We all know the benefits of apple cider vinegar. Now, you guys know that I'm a vegan and that I have lupus along with other health issues. I used to take ACV every morning before I worked out, but eventually the taste of ACV got to me and I had to look for another alternative and that's when a friend of mine turned me on to Goli. Goli is the first apple cider vinegar gummy. They give you all the benefits of ACV without the taste. That's right. Goli is vegan, gelatin free, gluten-free, and 100% organic. And the vitamins and the ACV in Goli promotes a healthy heart by maintaining a healthy cholesterol range, controls blood sugar levels, and also curbs your appetite. And the best part about Goli, for every sale generated, a child in need 
receives a six-month supply of essential vitamins with vitamin angels. So if you don't believe what I'm saying, I'm going to give you some information so you can try Goalie for yourself. Here's a promo code you can use. It's Sue Lynn One. That's S U E L Y N N E One. And you'll receive 5% off of your initial purchase. Also, I'll leave a link in the description in the podcast. So, why don't you go and try it for yourself? You won't believe how good it tastes. That's Goalie. talk about clinical trials, what you need to consider before participating in a medical study. Now, first of all, let's understand what is a clinical trial. Clinical trials is research studies that involves human volunteers, heralded as the best, if not the only way, to advance medicine, Clinical trials are designed to evaluate new ways to prevent, detect, or treat diseases. Now, every medicine on the market, every pill we swallow, every vaccine that is used was once the subject of a clinical trial. Countless lives have been saved by penicillin, and the smallpox vaccine to reach back in history and name just two. Current advances includes a long list of immunotherapies now approved for use by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, better known as the FDA to treat lung cancer, as well as other cancers. Now, the number of clinical trials being conducted in the United States and around the world is higher than it's ever been. A total of 291,895 studies were currently registered with clinicaltrials.gov one of the largest databases of clinical trials in existence. Now, of these 48,921 are actively recruiting participants. That's up from just 1,255 trials in total when the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health, 
website first became available to the public in early 2000. Now you're probably wondering about why I'm talking about clinical trials. Well, even though we have been diagnosed with lupus, there may come a point in time where your doctor, rheumatologist, could be performing research and be a part of a clinical trial study and ask you to be to take to be a participant or to take part of the um, research or clinical trial. Now, about 10 years ago, I was approached by a rheumatologist I was seeing at the time to be a part of a clinical trial. And I refused. One reason why I refused was it was not enough information that the rheumatologist was giving me on what exactly the medication was all about for lupus patients. Now, I know that I could have been given a placebo, but I wanted to know what does it entail? Who would be over my um, care during this clinical trial? Also, would I still see the same doctors that I was seeing who was um, overlooking my um, overall health? And the doctor, the rheumatologist at the time, could not answer the question. So I refused. So come on, grab your pen, your notebook, because we are about to have class. And on the syllabus today is Clinical Trials 101. Are you ready? So let's get started. All right, you have everything prepared to take some notes. So let's get one thing straight. Clinical trials, by definition, aren't initiated because researchers have the existing knowledge that the medication or treatment may cure a patient. Though... Um, Clinical trials are essential for moving medicine forward. They are designed to find treatments that can benefit the largest number of people with the least number of adverse effects. In some cases, they also benefit a participant on an individual level. But you have to keep in mind that may not, um, that may not happen, okay? However, by being part of a clinical trial, you are helping doctors make good decisions for helping other patients in the long term. Clinical trials are research studies, as stated previously, that is done on people as opposed to other or earlier trials uh, 
um, that was done on mice. And they are designed to find out if a certain treatment works, for example, whether a new or existing drug is more effective at treating a certain disease than the current therapies. Clinical trials may involve new drugs or new ways of giving patients those drugs set, such as in combination with other medication. They may test FDA-approved drugs on conditions other than the ones currently approved for treatment. Trials are used only to evaluate medications, new surgical procedures, medical devices, vaccines, and diagnostic tests may also be evaluated with clinical trials. In order to be marketed in the United States, devices, drugs, tests must pass strict regulatory conditions set by the FDA. Now, the um, National Institutes of Health estimates that there are nearly 250,000 clinical trials in progress across some 200 countries, running the gamut from the usefulness of a drug for mild Alzheimer's to the effectiveness of weight training in people with complex congenital heart disease. Yet, a clinical trial may not be the right fit for every person. Now, if you were willing to consider receiving a promising but unproven type of health care, you know there are pros and cons to weigh before entering a trial. So, how do you know whether one is right for you or for someone in your care? Now, I'm getting ready to give you an estimate of 11 or maybe 13 points that I want you to really think about. The first one is, how do I decide if a clinical trial is right for me? You got that? How do I find or how do I decide if a clinical trial is right for me? Well, finding a clinical trial that suits your particular condition and your needs takes a lot of research. You can start by searching the National Institute of Health clinicaltrials.gov site, one of the largest databases for both privately and publicly funded clinical trials. Now, if that seems overwhelming, the Independent Nonprofit Center for Information and Study on Clinical Research Participation works with patients and families over the phone to find nearby clinical trials, okay? The next point is point number two. Will you get in? 
trials have rigorous inclusions and exclusion criteria to identify appropriate participants. That usually includes a screening visit and a set of patient protocols for the trial, such as not being on a particular medication or being at a specific stage of the disease. The reason for strict eligibility is to make the trial as safe as possible for participants and to ensure that the study yields consistent and scientifically valid results for the researchers. Now, point number three, is my doctor still my doctor who is in charge of my care? If you remember earlier, I informed you that that was one of the questions that I raised to the rheumatologist who wanted me to be a participant. Now, every clinical study has a principal investigator, usually a physician. There will also be research teams made up of other healthcare professionals, such as nurses and doctors. If you join a clinical trial, it is important to clarify how the research team and your usual clinical team will work together. Now, the rheumatologist at the time of asking me to be a participant could not answer that question. Now that was point number three. We're going to point number four. Will it work? Now, well, will the treatment being tested work? Work tends to mean will they live longer and will it shrink, say, for instance, their tumor? Although this is the hope of clinical trials, these are not questions that they can answer about clinical trial drugs. Now, you may, if you have an advanced um, stage of cancer, I'm just using this for ex um, as an example, um, you may want to join a study to be cured. You're not alone. Um, one British survey I found that 89% of patients with advanced cancer who were participating in early stage trials listed possible health benefit as being a very important factor in deciding to join despite studies reporting that the chances of a therapeutic response is less than 5% for participants in phase one of the trial. So these, this is something that you really have to think about. Okay, the next point would be point number five, what are the risks? The doctor at the time could not answer those questions for me, and this was one of them. And we all know there is risk in everything we do, even the medication 
we take. There is a risk for adverse side effects. Now, trials must follow a protocol that outlines exactly how a study will protect the health and well-being of participants, what procedures will be involved, how medications or devices will be used during the trial, what potential risks and benefits are expected, whether adverse events or side effects could occur, and how data will be collected and analyzed. Clinical trials are monitored carefully so that if adverse events occur, the protocol can be changed or the study stopped as quickly as possible. Now, many patients volunteer with the hope that the study findings will one day help a family member or stranger facing a similar illness. But while investigators strive to minimize risks, they do exist. Researchers are required by law to report to participants any adverse events in the clinical trial of an FDA-regulated treatment, such as side effects or death. If new side effects or risks are identified while the trial is taking place, these new findings must be shared with all participants. There's never a risk-free study. Remember that. We all, with all the medications we take as being lupus patients, we know that there are risks and adverse side effects. Stick with me and we'll continue. You know, those of us with lupus experience hair loss, thinning hair, either from the illness or the medication we take. I have the perfect solution for you. It's called Vitalize. Yes, Vitalize can help you. They are in the business of growing healthy hair. They have a hair system that can help you, and even better, they have a new and improved edge control gel. That's right, ladies. There is no flaking. It lays down the edges and also protects it from heat. But wait one minute. Most importantly, the edge control has the award-winning hair growth ingredient retinin saw. Addition to the three-part scalp treatment system, there is a silk pillowcase for you to lay those growing locks on. Shampoo, 
conditioner, and multivitamin gummies. You can see reduced shedding in two weeks, you heard me, and most see results in four. To see proof for yourself, go on over to vitalizehair.com. That's V-I-T-A-L-I-Z-E-H-A-I-R.com and use the referral link listed in the information box on this podcast. You know, people are always looking for a reason to join a clinical trial. And I think it's hope. They're looking for hope that it will cure whatever condition that they might have. You see, when patients consider signing up for a clinical trial, They're looking for a longer life expectancy for either themselves or someone that they're caring for. They're looking for um, treatments such as new drugs, which may be effective on their conditions. Um, Participating in a clinical trial for some may also provide a sense of meaning. You know, many patients volunteer with the hope that the study findings will one day help a family member or a stranger facing a similar illness. Now, what do the phases mean in clinical trial? Well, we've heard of phase one, two, three, and four. Well, let's break it down and let's truly understand what it means. The first phase of a trial, evaluate a treatment safety for the first time in a group of dozens of people. Phase two trials involved hundreds of individuals and determined the treatment's effectiveness and further safety, while phase three trials help confirm the treatment's effectiveness and measure it against other treatments, while phase four trials in which researchers further track the treatment's risks and benefits occur after the treatment has been approved by the FDA and is publicly available. Do you know what a placebo is? Because you know, in some trials, a group will be given the actual treatment medication, using it as an example, and another group may be given a placebo. Now, they don't know which medication they are receiving, whether it's the placebo or the medication um, involved in the clinical trial. Now, one of the most anxiety-causing aspects of choosing a trial can be whether you'll receive the treatment 
being tested or if you will receive the placebo. Now, the placebos is nothing but a sugar pills or other harmless treatments given to patients knowing they'll have no effect or used to determine whether the drug or procedure being studied is truly effective and that the patients aren't simply benefiting from other aspects of the trial. Now, the reality is that many patients show improvements in symptoms just by being involved in a clinical trial. Now, not every study is designed with placebos. Of those trials that do use them, the percentage of patients who receive the placebo varies widely. So it's important to ask the clinical team what your odds are prior to participating. Now, in some trials, the researchers know which patients receive the treatment versus the placebos. This is a single blind study. The most rigorous clinical trials often involve placebos randomly assigned to certain patients and neither you nor the doctor knows who is receiving what. This is known as a double blind study. Now, another point is, will your existing treatment change? What do you think? Will your treatment change? Do you think your treatment will change? Now, patients enrolled in clinical trials may not receive the clinical trial treatment along with another treatment. This is typically part of an inclusion-exclusion criteria of the study. You may have to decide to stop or complete a particular treatment before joining a trial, and you and your doctor will weigh the effectiveness of continuing that existing treatment versus the potential risk and benefit of the new one being offered in a study. Did you understand that? Patients, once again, patients enrolled in a clinical trial may not receive the clinical trial treatment along with another treatment. It is typically part of an inclusion-exclusion criteria of the study. You may have to decide, you're going to have to weigh the good with the bad, to stop or complete a particular treatment before joining a clinical trial. Basically, is it worth it to you? That's all I'm saying. Is it worth it to um, stop? Just say, for instance, you were in a clinical trial to stop the treatment that you're receiving to try a new treatment. You can't 
um, do both at the same time. You can't do a clinical trial and presently being treated with something else. Inclusion, exclusion. Now, some people, and I know you have heard that some people get paid for doing clinical trials. Now, if you're wondering about that, will you get paid depending on the type of clinical trial? Patients may or may not be paid to participate, so be sure to ask, okay? Will it cost you money? There are often some costs to trial participants associated with a trial. Prior to joining, ask for a documented breakdown of expenses that will and won't be covered by the company or institution conducting the trial. Most will also help you with help, I shouldn't say help you with, but help you navigate whether your private health insurance will cover the expenses of participating. Clinical trials are covered under Medicare, for instance. Don't forget to consider additional expenses such as travel to the clinical trial site. Now, you may want to know, can you drop out at any time? Researchers depend on you, the patient, sticking with the clinical trial so that they can get the medical answers they are looking for. But research participants are under no obligation to stay in a study if they want to leave. You can stay. Well, you don't have to stay if you don't want to. You really don't. You really don't have to stay. Now, once it's over, what happens? You may have to wait for the researchers to publish the results of his or her work in a peer-reviewed journal before learning the outcome of the study. Patients receiving life-saving treatments may be able to continue taking a beneficial trial drug depending on how the study was structured. Drug companies sponsoring a clinical trial are under no obligation to continue providing treatment to patients. You understand that, don't you? If you decide to be in a clinical trial, the drug, just say for instance, the drug company that may be providing the drug, they have no obligation to you at all to continue to give you that medication. Now, I got 10 questions that you should ask the researchers if you're ever approached about being a participant in a clinical trial. First question, what is the goal of this trial? Second, how much is known about 
how this drug works in humans. The third, how long will the trial last? Question number four, if this has been an ongoing trial, what has been the experience of patients up until this point? Question number five, what are the potential side effects I could experience and how will those be addressed if they come up? Question number six, how will this trial affect the treatment I'm currently receiving? Question number seven, do I have to enroll now or is the trial something I could pursue at a later date? Question number eight, what are the out-of-pocket expenses I can expect? Is payment to participants involved or will I have to seek approval from my insurance provider? Question number nine, what are the factors that will cause me to be dropped from a trial? For example, is there a certain disease progression that would end my participation? And last, question number 10, what happens when the trial is over? If the medication or treatment has been working for me, can I continue to take it? That has been our class today on clinical trials what you need to know and understand about them before participating. I really appreciate you being in my class today. <laughs> yes, we had class today on clinical trials. You know, I was sitting here thinking, that you know when you go into the doctor and they say, well, let me try this new medication that's out and see if this doesn't um, control your symptoms. And you take that medication and um, you report back to the doctor and the doctor asks you, well, how did the medication react? Did you have any adverse side effects? How were you feeling? Don't you know in, in that instance, that's nothing but a clinical trial whenever they switch up medications? That's why I have you to, well, I request or I would like for you to ask questions about what is the medication for? What are the side effects? And if it doesn't work, then what? What will we do after that? Ask questions. But the next time you're in your doctor's office and he said, well, this medication isn't working for you, so let's try that. I hope you take those 10 questions and that I gave you and apply them to your doctor. And just ask just to see what his or her response would be. That's nothing but a clinical trial. But you're trying a new medication that was out that 
and they may sit and tell you that well this is a new medication that was out and so many patients have had a good reaction to the medication and I think that we should try it on you and if it doesn't work we'll try something else hello clinical trial okay all right I try to get you to um think you know think deeply into um when you go into your physician's office you know and see what they're saying and maybe something that you have heard in these podcasts that'll ring a bell in your head and say hmm she said that that was on the podcast so now let me ask this question you know think that's all but you know um In, the, in this crazy world that we're living in today, we see so much violence, so much hatred. And um, the unity, the fellowship has gone out the window. But there still exists Love. Love is an action directed to another person that is motivated by our relationship with Jesus Christ and is given freely without a personal reward in mind. And I say that to say this to you. Last week, was an interesting week for me. You know, myself and my oldest sister was going over my middle sister's house to pick her up. And while at the stoplight, a man came up and said, um, do you have um, six dollars and I don't carry money on me I've learned not to carry money on me and just by so happened um, I was carrying a purse that that day that I looked inside and there was money and something told me that spoke to my soul and said, give it to him. And so I told him, I said, hey, he was talking and I said, hey, look, I said, something just told me to give you this. I said, that's all I got. And I gave it to him. Then we went on, um, got my sister and we did some things and then on the way back home, I told my sister, I got in the house and told my sister, I said, oh, I forgot to pick something up. And I said, I'm just going to walk up to the to the dollar store. I said, I need the exercise anyway. So I walked. And lo and behold, there was a young man standing at the door. 
And I could tell I was observing. I was making sure no one else was around me. Um, he said, ma'am. I said, yeah. He said, I don't want no money. He said, I'm hungry. Can you buy me some food? And I said, yeah, come on. I'll buy you some food. So we went in and I told him, I said, you know, get whatever you want. And I said, I'll be over here because I said I need a pan. And so I went and picked up my pan and um, I looked for him. He was in the freezer section and I stood there. He didn't know I was watching him. And he had mental issues. And um, and I take it he had multiple personalities. So one personality came out and told him, man, we can't get too much or, uh, or get the highest thing. She going to get mad. And he said, well, what, what, what we going to get to eat? What we going to get to eat? And so I butted in. I said, tell your friend, y'all go get what you want. Pick up anything that you want to eat. I said, "Um, it's okay. I said, tell your friend, it's okay. And so he handed me one dinner. And I said, what are you going to do for later on at night when you're hungry? And he said, we don't want to be greedy. We don't want to be greedy, ma'am. I said, get what you want. I said, get something else. And I said, while you at it, get you something to drink. And so I watched him go get him something to drink. And him and his personality came out again. His other personality came out again and only got one drink. And I said, well, what about your friend? I said, your friend could get a drink too. And so the other personality said, see, man, I told you she wouldn't get mad if I got me one too. And his other personality said, well, I just don't want to make her mad. I said, tell you and your friend, I'm not mad, friend. Get what you want to eat. And I don't care. Just get what you want to eat and want to drink. So he got it. And he went outside and waited on me. And I gave it to him. And he said, oh, thank you so much, ma'am. I sure was hungry. Okay. A couple of days later on last week, I was sitting here working on the foundation and all of a sudden I had this real strong urge for some coffee and I said I'm not going to get any coffee right now I'll wait till the weekend and so I went up on the second level of the home and all of a sudden the urge got so strong in my spirit to go to the store to get this coffee and I said I don't want to go to the store right now it can wait now I'm upstairs in the hall 
pacing and it it stayed on me so bad and I said well let me go on to the store and get this coffee and I'm going to the closest store there is lo and behold when I went to turn in to the closest store my spirit once again I could say it wasn't anything but the Holy Spirit said no not this store the one you usually go to further down and I'm sitting up there in the middle lane getting ready to turn and I said I don't want to go all the way down here and he said go to the store that you've been going to so I went to the store I'm always cognizant of my surroundings and lo and behold I looked at this man while I was walking And I said, this man is ill. And when I got further up to him to enter into the store, he said, ma'am. I said, yes. He said, I don't want any money from you. I'm hungry. And I'm sick. I said, come on. I said, come on in the store. Get anything you want. And he said to me, I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be greedy. I'm not trying to to get over on you. He said, I want some baloney. And so as we entered the entered towards the Delhi department, I said, I stood there. And the individual that was working the counter looked at him and said, what you want? I said, no, 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 no. I said, we're not going to go that way with him today. I said, he is a human being. I told the man, I said, I will get you whatever you want. Just show me. And so I told the counter clerk, I said, give me that baloney right there, that Eckridge baloney. Give me two pounds. And I asked the man, I said, do you have bread? Do you have anything to put on your sandwich? Do you have something to drink? He said, no. I said, okay, I'm going to, once we get this, we'll go and pick up your rest of your items. And, you know, he stood there and he looked at me and I'm, you know, cognizant of my surroundings making sure no one comes up behind me this man pulled his shirt up and said see I've had three open heart surgeries and he was pointing to the scars he said this one I had was when I was a little boy my mama took me to the hospital and I'm looking at the scars And I said, this is odd, the way the scars were formed. They were all over him in different directions. And I said, girl, this is odd because um, I've never seen an individual with open heart surgery have scars that were jagged and all over his body. And I told him, I said, well, you know what? Go on and um, 
No, before that, he told me, he said, I'm not trying to run anything on you. I received $750 from state disability. My rent is $550. My light bill is $160-something. And he said, I'm on a budget plan. He said, I had to make a choice today whether to get my medication or food. And he said, I was hungry this morning. So I got food. I got, no, he said, I was hungry this morning, but I had to get my heart medication. So I got that and couldn't get any food. And I said, it's no problem. It's no problem. I said, I'm going to get your bread. You go get your mustard and and mayo. He said, I'm not trying to be greedy. I'm not trying to be greedy. So when cashed out everything and the the um, cashier said, oh, my God, you were blessed. And I've never seen anybody do this for a complete stranger. And so on the way out, he said, if I never see you again, I want to say thank you. Now, we outside, he said, now I got to go and get that bus right there. And when I turned around, the man was totally gone. And I told my sister this story. And she said, you were meant to go to the store that day to get your coffee but I said once I got the coffee I didn't want it no more she said you are obeying God he sent you there not for the coffee but to feed somebody and you did it and she looked at me and she said I wonder why you why is he putting it on you I said I don't know but I said it kind of scared me a little bit after thinking about it and I told her about the bodies about his body being scarred up with just like it was wet stripes all on the front of him but you never know when you may be entertaining an angel You never know. And you don't even know that it's an angel. And that's what my sister said. She said, he said the same thing to you as the other two men said to you. I said, yeah. So I want to leave you with this. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's John 13, 34 through 35. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. I'm Susan Hendricks. Your host for my story, 
Living with Lupus Podcast. Next time a stranger approaches you, extend a helping hand rather than pointing a finger because you may never know when you'll be entertaining an angel. I'll see you next week for another episode. Have a most peaceful, blessed, and oh so safe weekend.